Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Now, last week, we began our year with a mini-series that I'm calling Culture Conversations. And it was about setting the vision as we begin 2021. And we opened up the, with this uh, idea of ambition, in particular, holy ambition. Looking at three things that are needed for our personal ambition to evolve to a holy ambition. Uh, number one is, is a kingdom vision. Seeing beyond the boundaries of our own personal peace and affluence. Number two was a crystallization of discontent, holding those areas that we grieve so deeply, holding them actually tightly, not with apathy, to lead us to number three, which was radical, sacrificial action, making that kingdom vision move towards real change. And this week, we're going to continue our Culture Conversations mini-series by talking about something that I have um, seen to be a consistent narrative for the new year. And this is not isolated to this year, I think it's every year. We flip the calendar, we flip the script, and it's a new year, and therefore we think to ourselves, things have to get better. 2020 is finished, so we're well on our way to an improved reality, and in many ways, the reason for much of the hope for 2021 has simply been that we will be having an easier year than 2020. Fair enough. But if the first 10 days of this year is any indication, we cannot simply find our hope in 2020 being, or 2021 being an easier year. And let me say this right off the bat, that what took place this week at the U.S. Capitol was disgraceful and it was evil. And there's so much at play that we could speak to. But as followers of Jesus, allow me a moment to to speak to what I see as as a mingling of Christianity and nationalism that took place. the usage of Christian language or symbols or, or even actions like prayer or reading scripture does not simply by default mean it is of Jesus. The Bible says that God looks at the heart and our lives are born from the abundance of our hearts and, and the overflow of actions that came about this week was unsettling, but perhaps it was not shocking. It seems like we've been building to this. What took place was never about law and order. It was never about religious freedom. It was never about truth or justice. It was always about what was, what is always being power. And as the church, we are not called to pursue power, but rather relinquish power for the sake of others. This might've taken place in the U S but let's not be so arrogant and so ignorant as to believe that pursuing power and reoccurring racism, which was very much part of the conversation this week, under the banner of Christianity hasn't or it isn't taking place here in our country as well. We have areas that we need to repent for and a responsibility to do as Paul says. We don't find Paul simply concerning himself with the size of churches or questions about their growth. His primary concern with churches that he would write to is with their faithfulness, with the integrity of their witness. And amongst so much wrong, this was something that was compromised on that day as well. So let me assure you that what took place is not the way of Jesus. In Jesus, love leads. Peace is brought. And healing is the hope we find in Jesus. So we are off to quite the 2021. And 
If your hope was in an easier year, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you're going to find that platform to be an unsteady one, which is why we are never assured of an easy life. That's never the proclamation of Jesus. Jesus never presents an image of life that is rainbows and roses, but he says very clearly that you will have trials and tribulations. 2020 was tough, but there will be trials and tribulations in 2021. But take heart, for I have overcome the world, is what Jesus says. And that is what we need as we begin our year, to be a people who are filled with the Spirit of God, a people who have this overcoming spirit. We're called to be more than simply what we are able to do on our own because we have the Spirit of God in us. Now, like any good Sunday school session, we're going to start this morning with a little Bible quiz. No cheating at home. I know you have Google. I know. God knows. But I want to ask you where these people are in the Bible as we begin. So I want you to listen, to, to listen carefully. Shemua. Where is Shaphat? Not Snapchat, but Shaphat, like PH fat. Where is Egal? Where is Gadiel, which sounds like a Lord of the Rings elf. Um, Gadai, Sethur, Gail. Do you have any idea where you find these names? They're all leaders. They're all chosen leaders. And let me add one more name to the list. Caleb. These names are the names of the spies that were sent in the promised land to spy on it before the children of Israel went in to receive their inheritance. But they all died without seeing their inheritance except for Caleb. They all fell short as leaders. They all fell, failed in such a way that I feel pretty strongly that you didn't even know where they were in the Bible or who they were. It is amazing when you look at this that you can have people of such spiritual potential but experienced such spiritual failure in their lives. But yet there was one man that stood out that I want to talk about, and that man was Caleb. And I'm, I'm led to the question, what made Caleb different? So we're going to read from Numbers chapter 13. If you want, you can go check out Shaphat and his bros in there as well, but we're going to read a little farther ahead. And, and remember this as we read, that the nation of Israel are on the doorstep of their destiny. God has delivered them from slavery. They have received reparations for 400 years of slavery. They're given the treasures of Egypt. They've been saved by a miracle and crossed a sea. They've seen and experienced the incredible power of God, the miracles of God, the provision of God, and they are now at the moment, the moment that has been promised them, flowing with milk and honey. So what we read is that each Man is a leader in his tribe, known to be men of outstanding skill with power and authority. They stood above others and they're sent as spies into the promised land. And then we get this report from them. So let's read together from Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 26. Numbers 13, verses 26 to 33. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh, the desert of Paran. There they reported to them to, and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites 
live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report of the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak coming from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Thanks to Gabby and Biggie for leading us in this morning's reading. Um, so I hope you caught that. That these leaders, they come back and the response is to come back from their trip to the promised land with, with doubt and despair on their lips and they spread a bad report about what God has for them. And, and God, is, God is kind of like, are you kidding me? I've shown my power to you. I took you out of Egypt. I took you through a sea on dry land and I provided for you and you see a few tall people and you're melting down. Why are you turning away from me? And it says that God's heart is grieved. And it comes to this place in the next chapter, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 20, saying, I have forgiven them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt, listen carefully to that word, contempt, will ever see it. And I find the word contempt fascinating. Psychologists will often talk about six categories of, of large emotions that we face, and contempt is situated right alongside the emotion of anger. So I find this interesting that the explanation of the people's response from God is one of contempt, an angry response. Because this says to me that the expectation of the people of Israel was that the promised land was actually always going to simply be an easy land. That the provided land was going to be the no-struggle land. And they've had this assumption, and if, if that is the mindset that you and I have in our lives as we move into new spaces, into new years to come, that we're going to be similar in our frustration and our anger if we're simply assuming it's this no-struggle land. But con contempt in particular is a nuanced form of anger. It's this form of condensation or anger with superiority. When you have contempt for someone, you are literally saying, how could they? And you're positioning yourself above them as if you are better than them. And here we have the children of Israel saying, How could you bring us here, God? What sort of God are you to bring us into this land that is filled with large people? And God is like, Are you kidding? How can you treat me with contempt like you're better than me? But then we read this. Later on in verse, chapter 14, in verse 24, it says, But because my servant Caleb has what? He has what? A, a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Now this, this to me is an extraordinary passage because it is a moment of immense failure. But it's also a moment of great spiritual success. 
for an individual. And God gives us the reasons why he blesses Caleb. Not because he had a better night's sleep than the, the night before than the rest of the, the spies. Not because he went to a different part of the countryside. Not because his situation was easier. Not because he had this name. Caleb It's actually is actually translated as dog. He didn't have anything really going for him, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. All the leaders were chosen. Let's understand this. It's a select group of what scholars project was almost 2 million people. And yet Caleb had a different spirit. So I'm led to ask the question, what was the spirit that Caleb had and how do I get that spirit? How do I cultivate that spirit? And when I look at the story of Caleb, I think we can learn a few things about how we get this spirit that we're talking about, this overcoming spirit. One of those indicators is that Caleb in particular, he had a different perspective, perspective, which it might seem simple, but I think is actually really profound. Caleb, he says, we should go up and take possession of the land because we can certainly do it. Let's go. We can do it. And they all went and they spied out the land and they ate the same fruit and they're all in awe of the land of milk and honey and they see the same challenges, they see the same victories, but the majority saw a land of challenge and struggle while Caleb saw a land exactly as God had promised. See, I think so often our disappointment with God is actually birthed from an expectation that we have created all on our own. The land of no struggle was not what was promised. This job is going to make my life easier, but it's more work even though I might feel more fulfilled. Disappointment. This this relationship is going to complete me, but God brought you together to serve him, not complete each other. They, They had told themselves that the land of milk and honey was the land of ease and flourishing, but God never said that. Instead, they forgot the promise that God did fulfill. God promised milk and honey. He did that. He wanted to further his people. He's going to do that, and he's already come through. Ten of them came back with a negative report, but Caleb came back with a positive one. Now, at this point, I know some of you are saying like, okay, Jason, I get it. You're an optimist. It's easy for you to see the positive side of things. But honestly, man, I'm 10 days in. I've already blown all my New Year's resolutions. I ate a tub of ice cream I shouldn't have yesterday, and I am paying for it today. Thank God we are online. I already feel exhausted from 2021. The last thing I need to do is someone to talk to me and tell me, you can do it, you can do it. I'm not trying to give you... To, I'm not trying to get you to give yourself a pep talk in the mirror every morning. You can do it. You can do it. Because I get it. We're all at some point or another at this place where we feel like Murphy's Law is at work. Where everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And, and you've had just one of those days and you just want to do something productive. And you spend 25 minutes driving around the Costco parking lot trying to find a parking spot. And you're yelling at everyone, why are you here? It's in the middle of a pandemic. Of course I can't find a parking spot today. And we fabricate a false reality that feeds our disappointment in the moment as if the world is against us. This is not me trying to whip you up into a positive mindset. This is not you trying, not trying to make you try harder. This is not about getting some motivation behind you. This is what I mean. That Caleb's vision is not based on 
the strength of the people of Israel or their skill. It was based on the God that they served. And that was the difference. The spies, they saw the obstacles and the problems and how small they were in the eyes, in their eyes. Their eyes were on themselves, but Caleb, he saw the problem and the obstacles, but his eyes were on God. And so he knew all things were possible in the promises that God gives. Because the children of Israel were not a skillful military unit. They had just spent 400 years as slaves. Caleb, he wasn't blind saying, we are the mightiest army in the history of the world. Optimism. No, he says, look at the God we serve. Look at what he's done. God is with us. And here's the difference. In, in our city, so often it's like willpower and, and self-help and putting on apps while we quietly breathe to get some calm. All this stuff that we do because we think that the power is in us. The power is not based on you. If my willpower is the driving force of my life or our church, then God have mercy on us all. We need a different perspective in our discovery of that different spirit, of an overcoming spirit. And we need to do as Caleb does and serve him wholeheartedly. This is a phrase that was tied to Caleb again and again. It could be his middle name. It's a reputation he has wholehearted. And what does that mean? Well, one of the great strategies I think that the enemy has is not for you to destroy your life through catastrophic failure. He just wants you to get little bits of sin in your life that make you ineffective in your witness. He just wants to, to get little things in to rob you of the confidence to pray bold prayers, to share the gospel with anyone else because you think, who am I? I'm just a hypocrite. Many of us have enough faith to be saved from our sins, but not enough surrender to let Jesus have the whole of our lives. So we get stuck in this horrible middle place where we are not dead in sin, but we are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're in this miserable wilderness of compromise. And I honestly think that this is one of the greatest inhibitors to discovering the promises of God in our modern day culture. Because we have gotten so used to having everything in our life segregated into separate boxes that we open when appropriate. Work here, family here, friends here, church here. And then Jesus comes in with his invitation of fullness of life that asks for the fullness of our hearts. It is a wholehearted relationship that we are invited into, but we have been wired to only give up the bare minimum. And the problem with having the Holy Spirit in you is that you can't sin with joy ever again. You're just miserable. When you become a follower of Jesus, you're inviting a new spirit into your life. And honestly, it's a spirit that is in you that is jealous for you, that wants all of you. And when we only give a, a, a part of us, it doesn't work. There, there's a scene in the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And, and it's basically this allegorical account in which this older demon is mentoring this younger demon that is uh, coming into his new position to sabotage Christians and how they live. It's a satanic version of Chronicles of Narnia. I'm kidding. But so, so the younger demon is quite energetic and he's like, I want to get a Christian to do a massive sin adultery or, or murder or, or whatever. And the older demon, demon's like, I appreciate your zeal. 
Your zeal for the cause is great, and I understand that desire, but the goal is not to get spectacular sins. The goal is to make them ineffective. He says you don't have to worry about all these larger sins. If you can literally catch up and and embroil a Christian in something as simple as an addiction to the game of cards. And as we think about this year, I think about the extreme fears and expectations that we set around us. Fear of failure, expectations for success that are centered around dramatic acts. But this would say that those focuses are not even the normal rhythms of life because the enemy doesn't want you to blow your life out. He doesn't want, he doesn't need you to completely fall apart. He just needs you to become ineffective. Lost faith. No confidence. A place where half of your heart is given to temptation and half of your heart is given to God. But Caleb, whole heart. People of Israel, divided hearts. Not destruction of our life through catastrophic failure. It is little deviations to make us ineffective. To make you and I half-hearted. They want to go in, but they're so afraid, so, so much so that they're longing to go back. And, and we know that there's evidence of this because they say, let's raise up a leader to take us back to Egypt where they have soup with onions and leeks. First of all, how is the thing that you're craving onions and leeks? Sorry to my onion lovers. They're about to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. The sweet tooth in me is like, that's the spot. And they remember the soup of their slavery. But not Caleb. He of a different spirit and a whole heart wanted to move forward. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, I want you to ask, where do you stand? This is not a question meant to condemn you, but if you reflect and come to an honest conclusion that you are in this cycle of half-heartedness and frustration, I want to encourage you this morning that where you're at, is not where you have to be. That what you're experiencing is not God's desire for your life. That God, he he loves Caleb the wholehearted because we're better to place our whole heart than into the hands of love itself. This is not a fear tactic saying you better give me your whole heart or else, but an invitation from God that wants to see you flourish, to see your traumas healed, to see your relationships restored, to see your confidence strengthened, your hope lifted, your joy returned, because there is no better place for our hearts to be than in the hands of God. Don't wait to give your whole heart to God until you feel like it's been ready to to be presented. We live in a divided world, so no wonder our hearts are divided. No wonder our allegiances are apathetic because we know only division in our politics, in our families, in our opinions, in our workplaces. Division is the norm, but we must face this reality head on if we're going to become a people with an overcoming spirit, a wholehearted people, a spirit that is born from a perspective centered on the person of Jesus and a spirit born from a fully surrendered heart. I don't think I'm out of line in saying that we all desire to have an overcoming spirit. And my prayer for our church 
for you at home that, as you're watching is that you would have a, this culture of overcoming in, infiltrate your family because we will face trials and tribulations but an overcoming spirit is what our church needs. It's what our community needs. It's what our world needs. We're not praying for an easier 2021. We're praying for an overcoming spirit to invade our very being. An overcoming spirit is proactive instead of reactive. An overcoming spirit speaks hope without avoiding reality. An overcoming spirit, it sees the potential of people. An overcoming spirit, it operates from a place of love instead of a place of fear. An overcoming spirit doesn't isolate, but unifies. It believes in the we instead of the me. An overcoming spirit makes prayer a priority. An overcoming spirit is generous with what they have been given. An overcoming spirit listens for the prompts of the Holy Spirit in all moments, not just the convenient ones. And an overcoming spirit places their trust in the promises of God and not their own effort. It is a reflection of who Jesus is in our world. If you're feeling as if you are missing your church family and we haven't been together enough recently, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. I feel it. But you know what? An overcoming spirit says that my disappointment won't become apathy. You know what? I'm going to text my friends after church today and I'm going to book a Zoom hangout. If you're feeling as if you're overwhelmed and can't find the strength to even think, you're not alone. E email someone, email our prayer team, prayatcitycollective.com, and just have someone call you. See, I just need to talk to someone. Maybe you're feeling as if the brokenness of our world is beyond repair and you're grieving that and you don't know what to do. You know what? Pray daily. Educate yourself. Initiate conversations with those in your circle of influence. We need to face it head on. I love this quote from James Baldwin. He says, not everything that is faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And one way which we are going to do that as a church is we're gonna face and we're gonna begin this year by committing to seven days of prayer beginning tomorrow morning at, at 8 a.m. Each day this week, we have someone from our team leading us in a prompt for the day and this is what I would ask. Would you commit to join us in prayer each day after, after a moment of, of reflection and worship as we normally do, I'm going to come right back and we're going to break down what that's going to look like. But I believe that this is something that we need to do as a church family to start this year, to cry out, to just desire as a community this overcoming spirit and pray with an urgency. We are all seeing the real world that we're in, but we have an opportunity to respond like Caleb with an overcoming spirit to face the challenges of 2021, not simply hoping for it to be easier, but to find our hope in knowing that we are overcomers through the power of Jesus that lives within us. I hope that you don't let this moment simply be a nice thought that passes, but that you would actually pause your thoughts that are drifting and commit yourself as we close. Commit yourself and say, God help me to capture that overcoming spirit that Caleb had. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that we have stories like the one of Caleb where we can resonate with the frustration of the people of Israel, 
that we hoped for something. Our, our, our expectations had, had gone beyond anything that you'd even said in that moment about a specific situation. And then we experience immense disappointment and we don't see your faithfulness. We don't see your promises and we don't see your truth. Give us eyes to see this year, Father. I pray that there would be a different spirit, an overcoming spirit that would be set in the hearts and the minds of those who are, are listening this morning that you would give us the courage to be wholehearted in our offering to you, that we would have a heartful of surrender. I pray right now that, that we would sense your presence in a new way here in 2021, that we would have that presence be the strength that, and source that we need to be overcomers as the challenges of the year come our way. I pray for families, I pray for workplaces, I pray, I pray for our our, our cities and, and, and our government officials. Thank you that you're providing wisdom in, in necessary, needed ways right now, Father. We just believe that you're going to provide all that is needed for us in this year to come, and you would give us the courage to lean into you, to find our hope and our trust in you, and that we would become a church, a people, with an overcoming spirit found in Jesus. Thank you for the gift of this morning. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.